morning. Don't you love to worship Jesus? I do. Well, I have a confession right off the bat. Is I, There's notes available. If you don't have these notes, you could raise your hand. Maybe somebody could get them to you um, for the sermon this morning. But on 1A, it says we're going to be going through verses 10 to 2. Well, there is no chapter 7, verse 2, so it must be 10 to 12. So it's chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Well, good morning, but we want to talk about prayer today. In 1952, the famed scientist Albert Einstein was delivering a lecture at Princeton University. Uh, a doctoral student there was a little in distress because he thought all the subjects ne needed for doctoral dissertation and research were already taken. There's no new science to learn. And so he said, what's left to do? And Einstein pondered the question a few minutes and said this. Find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Well, if the scientific community realizes it, what should we realize? Unfortunately, prayer still seems to be too great a mystery for many of us. And it's not meant to be. God's word tells us all we need to know about what this thing called con conversations with God in prayer are all about. So we're going to study this this morning. And the, two weeks ago, we studied on the priorities of our prayers. Last week, we talked about the perseverance in prayer. And today, we're going to be talking from the book of Ephesians on the practice of prayer. See, Paul turns the spotlight in our passage today on four very practical aspects of our prayer life, including what kind of prayer should we be offering? When should we pray? Um, what should our attitude be in prayer? And the call to intercessory prayer. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians. We'll jump right into the Word, chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And in this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf 
that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I would pray the same prayer that Paul has prayed. Would you give me utterance to my mouth that whatever I speak would be from you and that people would hear your word and it would penetrate not only their heart but my heart and that it would change me and let me realize what it is you want me to know this morning, not just to be smarter so my life will be different. We give you praise. Would you do that in each person here? In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, I think it's really important for us to note and get an appreciation of where this passage fits in the whole context of the book of Ephesians. Um, in fact, um, we find, I think I find, no other book in the New Testament as rich and as full and as wonderful of all the blessings and all the things that God is doing in the life of those he calls and makes his children as we find in the book of Ephesians. I mean, it starts right off the bat in verse 3. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. We were chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined and adopted, verses 4 and 5 of verse one, or chapter 1. God has revealed the mystery of his will to us. We don't need to be in the dark, verse 9. God has revealed the mystery of his will and granted us an inheritance, verse 11. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, verse 13. He has graciously saved us and prepared works for us to do, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He has made us one with Christ, one with each other. Everyone in this room is one with each other because of what Christ has done. He has brought peace to our lives. We have confident access to God. He has made us citizens of God's kingdom, members of his family, and we are all uniquely and individually gifted by Christ. The list goes on and on. We are sitting in a blessed position. Do you know that this morning? You are wonderfully blessed by our Heavenly Father, all because of Christ. Now, one of the things that he goes on to say here, and I think God recognizes our own weakness, is we would be tempted to say, well, I must be set. Life must be good. I'm blessed. I'm seated with him in the heavenlies. Life is good. There will be no problems. I'm set. Paul concludes his letter by reminding us, oh, by the way, you're not set. And in fact, you're in the middle of a giant war. You're in the middle of a battle in this life and death. And he says that, Paul tells us that this is not just a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. See, your battle is not with your spouse with your neighbor, with your kids, with your boss, with the government. This is a spiritual battle that we are in. And whether you realize it or not, you and I are in spiritual warfare. A lot of us go around fat, dumb, and happy. 
We don't care. We don't see it. It looks different from our perspective. But according to verse 12, there's armor that God has provided us for this battle. And we need to be suited up to fight in this battle. He's given it for us on not only our protection as armor and a shield, but also offensive weapons, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and prayer. Now, prayer is how you use these tools. Prayer is the tool, is the key of the spiritual battle for the children of God, for the soldier in God's army. Prayer is your key tool. Now, this is why I want to say no soldier would dream of going into battle in his PJs. They would be equipped. Hey, give me all the best guns and armor and plating and whatever, but don't send me out there in my PJs. But often Christians, I think, approach life in their PJs, in their figurative PJs. They're not in the armor of God, and they're not wielding the sword of the Spirit, and they're certainly not depending on prayer. They don't recognize where they are. They're in the middle of a war. Um, I think the problem here is we often mistake our physical situation for our spiritual situation. We look at each other and say, well, God's blessed me with a good job, happy marriage, good kids, life is good, all's healthy, and my need of prayer is a little less than yours. It's a lie. We are all in the middle of this battle, and Satan would love to take you down. He would love to destroy your family, your children, your marriage, if it will keep you from proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and take you out of the battle. He doesn't need to worry about soldiers who are just in uniform but aren't fighting. He can give you a BMW, a new car, and a house if it will keep you happy and off the, off the battlefield because he doesn't want to mess around with people who are out of the fight. But as soon as you engage in the fight, you're going to need some armor, and you're going to need the sword of the Spirit. And you're going to need prayer because this is going to be a bullseye on you and on me. It's interesting that the posture of Christ wants us to have is on our knees. And in verse 17 and 18, we're realizing Paul takes us from the heights in verses 1 through, through uh, chapter 1 through chapter 3 of our blessings in Christ. But he ends on our knees. The posture of the soldier of Jesus Christ is on their knees. This is our battle station. We must take our battle station. And it's on our knees in prayer. This is what Paul is trying to take us, tell us here. Well, with that as a backdrop, we need to understand that prayer is the very air the soldier of Jesus Christ must breathe. Without air, we will perish. So let's look at verse 18 and see how we're to use this divinely given blessing and gift and weapon called prayer. There are four alls in verse 18, and we're just going to go through them. The first all is, with all prayer and petition. See, Paul's telling us, look, prayer is a very broad very wonderful, very rich thing. And many of us limit our prayers 
to lists. Have you ever had a list? Is that the center of your prayer life, is a list? Well, think about this. We're not supposed to pray with a list. We're supposed to be praying with all sorts of prayers. It was, it's true of any relationship you have. If the only conversation you have with your spouse is your list of things you want, and you check it off, okay, we're done talking, what kind of a relationship would you have? Terrible. Terrible. So we need to make sure that when we talk to God, we're talking with all kinds of prayers. And that's what the first word means. All prayer. Well, prayer is a general word. The Greek word here is a general word for prayer. And it includes all kinds of things. That means adoration of God. We should start by acknowledging who God is. Do we realize who we're talking to in prayer? Almighty God. We're not talking to Fred. We're talking to God. And we want to say, God, you're wonderful. You're awesome. You're sovereign. You're in charge. And I'm here for my orders. I'm here to tell you how good you are. I'm here to thank you. I'm here to praise you. I'm here to lift up not only my needs, but I want to tell you how wonderful you are. I want to confess my sin so we have relationship. God wants a relationship. He doesn't want a list. I'm, I'm really sad about this because sometimes I think lists are the only way that we remember to pray. And it's sad. God is telling us here, we need to pray all kinds of prayers. Are you doing that? Let's just move on. Then the second part is petition. means supplication. Specific requests. Now, a lot of us have that down because we have a list, but I'm going to ask you something. It's on my heart to say that I think a lot of us do not pray specifically very well. We think we do, but we don't. We, we say a prayer, and we wouldn't even know if God answered it. Bless my family. What would that look like? Would you know if God did it? How about be with Bob today? We say a lot of prayers out of mechanic that have no specific, specific to it. We need to pray stuff like, Lord, I need you to save my neighbor. Would you know when that was done? I'll bet you would. Lord, I need you to help me be gracious to my wife. Lord, I need you to forgive this part of my life. I'm not living where I should. Lord, I need you to work on this church. Would you like to have a good church? Um, I'm thinking, would you like Valley Bible Church to be a Christ-exalting church, a praying church, a growing church, a loving church, a gospel-proclaiming church. We need to pray. Are you praying for that? Are you just expecting that? See, this is a very convicting message to me. Some of the things that God's pointing out here, he's not letting me say just, I'll tell them and don't listen. He's tapping me on the shoulder all the time. You getting it, Tim? Are you getting it? Yeah, I'm getting it. Well, all kinds of prayers also includes how you pray. And do you know that all kinds of prayers could be standing, sitting, 
loud in your head, uh, eyes open, eyes closed, hands folded, hands open, hands up, on your knees. Does God care about your posture? Can you pray walking around with your eyes open? Is that legal? Yes! The admonition here is God doesn't care about your posture or geography. He cares about your heart. Just like he told Samuel about David. Man looks on the outward. God looks at the heart. God's looking at your heart when you pray. He's not looking whether your eyes are open or closed. I know a lot of parents used to say, oh, my, my kids, 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 close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. Or, you know, it's like that makes it special. No. The point here is it's not our posture. It's not our geography. Jesus told the woman in Samaria that. It's not on this mountain or in Jerusalem. It's in the spirit. It's in your heart. We need to pray, not worried about where we are, what we're doing. We're not in the right church to pray. We're not in our prayer closet, so I have to stop. We're, no, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're doing it, pray. That's the admonition here. All prayers, all kinds, all times. So let's just keep going. Number two, the all says we should pray at all times in the Spirit. Well, let me take the second that part of that verse first. A lot of people get confused when they hear something really esoteric when we're praying in the Spirit. Ooh. That's not what he's meaning here. Look at your Bibles. If you see, pray in the Spirit is a little S or a big S. It's capital S, isn't it? Paul's clearly meaning the Holy Spirit, to pray in the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, the Spirit of God that is given and indwells every believer given at their point of salvation, according to Acts 2.38, Romans 8.9, Galatians 4.6. The Spirit of God is given to every believer upon salvation. So the first thing I want to say about praying in the Spirit clearly means this has to be those who know Christ and have been given the Spirit can be the only ones who can pray in the Spirit. They're the only ones that have the Spirit. So I have to stop first. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you're stopping at step one. You can't get past step one without Jesus. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus that we are separated to, by, to God from our sin, we have to accept his forgiveness on the cross who died for us, paid the price for our sin, was buried, was raised by God, lives on high, he reigns, and he offers the gift of salvation if we would simply trust Jesus. And when we get Jesus, we get eternal life, we get heaven, we get blessings, and we get the Holy Spirit. Now we get to pray. And do you know, the one prayer that God will hear from someone who doesn't know Jesus is a prayer that's still inspired by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates our heart, causes faith, and we say, I want Jesus for the first time. That is a Holy Spirit-prompted prayer. We need the Holy Spirit to pray. Did you know we need the Holy Spirit to just live our Christian life at all? We can't do anything in the Christian life that has any value for the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit. And we certainly cannot pray. Step two says we praying in the Spirit is not a mystical experience. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not having a special sort of hmm. 
speaking or praying in the Spirit is praying according to the Spirit that indwells us, that we depend on Him for the power to pray. We depend on Him for the things to pray. We depend on Him for our desire to pray. We're approaching a holy God who in John 4 says is spirit and pure spirit and worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. We must pray to him in spirit and truth and we need his Holy Spirit to do that. We need, Paul's telling us, we just need spirit-empowered prayer and spirit-driven prayer. But thirdly, I think praying in the spirit means this. It means we pray like the spirit does. And how does the Spirit pray? Well, according to Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, it says this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints. How? according to the will of God. Aha! This is what we need from the Spirit. We need direction on how to pray according to the will of God. God will hear. We've heard from Todd and others. God hears prayers according to His will for His kingdom. And He will answer. We need to learn how to pray according to the will of God. So the three things the Spirit does here is He helps the believers in weakness, and certainly we have weakness, and he, pre- and he prays for us when we get wordless. We get in a situation and we say, God, I know I got to pray, but I don't know what to say. Guess who steps in? The third member of the Godhead says, I got this. I know exactly what that young man, that old man, that one woman needs. They need this and they intercede. And everything they pray, everything the Spirit prays is according to the will of God for your life. Is that how you want to pray? I sure hope it's what I want to pray. I want to pray like the Holy Spirit, and I want to depend on Him. So depend and rely on the Holy Spirit for the desire to pray, to even want to pray, and also the power and the direction in my prayer. That's praying in the Spirit. But it says that we're supposed to pray at all times. You know, we're creatures of habit when it comes to prayer. Many of us are. Uh, Maybe you set your habits by reading Psalm 5, and it says, early in the morning you'll hear my voice. And so you say, okay, God, the holy time to pray is in the morning. Really? Because some of us, I think, when they get done praying in the morning, we mentally do this. Prayer time concluded, check. Now to go about my day. That's not what he's talking about here. Jesus said... In Luke 21, keep alert at all times, praying at all times that you might have strength. Praying at all times? Uh, Let's see. We really need to change our thinking about what prayer even is. It's not just our dedicated and devoted prayer time. Those are important. That's where you really, really, really get real with God about your life, about what's going on in your world. Sometimes it's hard to do as you're praying through your day. We need those times. But it's not just those times. See, prayer is our lifeline to God, to our commander-in-chief. Believers are in a relationship with God. 
Our prayers to God are like spiritual air, and we're like a diver at the bottom of the ocean in a foreign land, and we have an air hose to heaven. And what that diver needs all the time to survive is air. That's us. Do you recognize your need for prayer? Not just, I should pray. You will not make it without prayer. You will not make it. Well, I don't know if any of you would have ever gotten up in the morning. <clears throat> well, I've breathed for the day. No, I'm good. Would anybody say that? I hope not. But your body would tell you otherwise. It'll force you to breathe. See, some of us view, I think some of us view breathing as a task. No, breathing is not a task, and neither is prayer. Prayer is not a task. Prayer is life. Prayer is life. We can't just view it as something we're checking the box on. It's something we must do all through our day. In fact, the Bible speaks volumes about our Christian walk and how to really know God and if we really do know God. You might be a Bible uh, school, seminary graduate. You're, you're a pastor. You're a leader. You're a Sunday school teacher. You're a small group leader. And you might think the amount that I know God is how much I know this book. This is not how much you know God. This is no how, you, how much you know about God. You know God in prayer, a relationship, a communion of, of thought and conversation. In fact, Jesus told us this. Listen to me. Jesus said this in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know all about you. Is that what it says? No, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus is telling us how much we know him is our relationship with God. And we don't have that without prayer. How well would you know somebody that you don't talk to? How well would you know somebody you're not willing to spend time with? If you told your wife or your husband, be bold. Well, dear, we had our breakfast. I've had my five minutes of conversation with you. Check. We're done. What do you think would happen? Would your relationship thrive? You would be done. Maybe you'd be dead. So I just think what we need to do here is understand that God is calling to a privilege of ongoing prayer that he never gets tired of hearing from you. He never tires from hearing from you. He wants to know you personally. What a joy. We have a privilege of knowing Almighty God personally. What a joy, what a high aspiration. It's not a task, it's a blessing, it's a joy, it's a delight. To know him is a delight. Well, but praying without ceasing, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, or praying all the time, as this verse says, is not walking around in a daze always doing this. I don't do any work, I don't talk to anybody, I just pray. That's not what praying without ceasing means. So what does it mean? I think it simply means this, 
that we live, live our lives in a manner that recognizes God in all of our situations. We have God-like lenses on that we see all of life's circumstances, all of life's needs, all of life's situations through our loving, sovereign, heavenly Father's eyes, and we talk to Him about it all day long. We just, when we see something happen, when we wake up in the morning and realize that you are sane, you go, thank you, Lord, for the mercies of a new day. You said your mercies were new every day. Thank you. Thank you for waking me up and giving me the sanity to see it. My body is available to you. That might be your first prayer of the day. But does that stop? No, when you go downstairs and see your kids, God, thank you for making my kids healthy. Everything you see they, they love Jesus. They want to tell somebody about Jesus. It makes me excited. God, thank you for doing that. We, our day, it should be a constant communication. When we run into temptation, what are we supposed to do with that? Take it to him. Lord, I'm being tempted. Please give me strength. I don't want to do what you don't want me to do. Do you think God wants to answer that kind of prayer? Absolutely. Can you ask it too much? No. Our prayers all day long. It's just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a great example. He's a man who was a, well, he was bold because in a near Middle East king at that time, uh, if you were sad in the king's presence, that might mean death because no one should be sad when you're in my presence, the king would say. But he was sad in the king's presence and the king says, what's wrong, Nehemiah? And he says, how can I be happy when my city's in ruins and burned to the ground? And the king says, what do you want me to do for you? His answer was beautiful. Two things. I prayed to the Lord and I answered the king. Which one did you do, Nehemiah? Both. Hadn't you ever done that? When someone comes up to you and says, oh, you see him coming here, Lord, I don't know what this is going to be, but I, prepare me for this conversation. Let me have Christ come out of what I say. Let Christ be exalted in what I do. Don't we talk with God? Shouldn't we talk with God like that all day long? We should. Well, does this characterize how you go through your day? Or did you check the box this morning? Well, let's move on because that's guilt-producing. Third, third all addresses our attitude or approach to prayer. It says, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. How do you and I decide what to bring to God in prayer? Do you just bring whatever you remember? Uh, whatever God might put on your heart that morning? According to this verse, Paul is commanding us to be on the alert with all perseverance. What does that mean? I think it's a couple things. The first is we are to stay alert to danger, to the situation. You're in a battle. Are you remembering you're in a battle? What's going on? The Apostle Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of goofing around. No, for the purpose of prayer. You know, our prayers are not just to be emotional. Yes, many of them are emotional. We cry from the bottom of our heart because it's hurt, there's pain, there's sorrow, and we take them to the Lord. But they're not to be all emotion. We're supposed to engage our mind. 
We're supposed to say, God, what do you want me to pray for? What is the Spirit instructing me to pray for? What is the will of God? We can't just approach. Do you know what your situation is? Because we're in a battle zone. Are you watching the flow of battle move around you? Do you know what your fellow soldiers need? Are you even aware of your brothers and sisters' needs? Your fellow soldiers? See, this is what he's calling us to. It's like we need to take prayer soberly and seriously and engage our mind. We can't just come with our list, read the list, and leave. How is that being alert? Do you think temptation comes up and says, Hi, I'm temptation. We need to be alert. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 26. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter temptation. We get caught off guard all the time. Why? Because we're not watching. We're not waiting. We're not expecting. We're not realizing this could be dangerous. Well, I just wonder, are we staying ready? Because the second point is all perseverance. Now, Larry talked about this last week, and so we don't need to go over it very much. But I want to just remind us that Paul, in one more location, is reminding us that we need to be people of all perseverance. Do you notice, do you notice that all? All perseverance? What do you think that means? Like we all heard, all is all. Without reservation, without exception. We're supposed to stay on target in our prayers. George Mueller was a 19th century evangelist uh, and the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage. And he was considered one of the greatest prayer warriors of his day. And he had this to say about being persistent in prayer. It's a common temptation of Satan to make us give up the reading of the word and prayer when our enjoyment of them is gone, as if it were no use to read the Bible when we do not seem to enjoy it, and it's no use to pray when we have not a spirit or a feeling of prayer. The truth is that in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue to pray. The less we read the word of God, the less we will desire to read it. And the less we pray, the less we will desire to pray. Spurgeon followed this up with a quote of his own. He said, not to pray because you do not feel fit to pray is like saying, I will not take my medicine today because I am too ill. Pray for prayer. Pray yourself by the Spirit's assistance into a praying mood and frame. If I feel myself disinclined to pray, it is exactly then when I need to pray more than ever. Do you hear me? See, a lot of us say, well, I don't feel like praying. Pray that you'll feel like praying. God and the Holy Spirit, do you think God wants to talk to you? He never tires to hear from you. We just need to submit ourselves to his will and say, Lord, I'm not feeling like praying today. I just don't, don't feel like I, I want to. Do you think God already knows that? Are we informing him of anything when we tell him that? No. But he wants us to say, Lord, I'm desperate. I, don't, I know I should pray, but I don't feel to pray. I don't know what to pray. That's exactly when the Spirit will kick in and teach us and lead us and give us a heart of prayer. 
May God help us become alert and even more persistent in prayer. The final all in verse 18 is for all the saints. In this passage, God is making it clear that he desires us to not only be a praying people, but we're praying for somebody besides us. And we're praying for the saints. And as I studied the passage, it really came to me, there's two questions that come up here. Why is Paul directing us to pray for the saints? And why would Paul say to pray just for the saints? What about everybody else? I mean, let's answer that second question first. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 directed us to pray for all men, didn't he? For kings and for those in authority. So did he lose his heart for others here? Is that what's going on in this chapter? He says, well, I want you guys to start being more selfish and just pray for yourselves. I don't think that's what's going on at all. Back to our context. We're in a battle. Who are the soldiers of this battle? It's the saints. The only one wearing the armor of God, if they choose to put it on by prayer, are the saints. The only ones wielding the sword of the Spirit in this battle for the kingdom of Christ are the saints. The only ones that can pray in the Spirit are the saints. You guys are the team. And you look around, you go, we're the team? Yeah, you're the team. You're the, you're the ones in uniform. If you know Jesus Christ, you have the uniform of a soldier of Christ on, and you're supposed to pray for your fellow soldiers. And what should you pray for? Your, why does your fellow soldier need help? Do you know that some of us come to church so plastic? We, don't, we put on the smile of Christ as we come in. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we've got so many battles that we're fighting right now that you guys don't know about. And I'm about to go under. You don't know it, but I'm about to give up. I'm about to lose heart. I'm about to quit my dependence of God. I'm about to say, Lord, serving you is too hard. You don't know what your fellow soldiers are going through. What do they need? They need God's strength. They need God's encouragement. They need God's hope. They need God's joy. They need God's protection. We should be praying for one another. Do you think they're not in the bullseye just because you are? Really? No. Everyone who's trying to do the will of God is in the bullseye. And they need God's protection. They need God's help. They need God's aid. They need God's encouragement. Because this battle is never over until the Lord discharges us from service. We're not done. Now, a lot of us, as I say, I think there's too many of us that wear the uniform and don't do the work. We need to pray for one another. Are not enough people serving? Instead of complaining, how about praying? Are, are, are not enough people helping out in your ministry? Instead of whining, how about praying? That God will raise up servants that will serve in this ministry or that ministry or that will proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ that people will hear the gospel and respond. Is that a valid prayer? That you, God, you would prepare the hearts of those who hear, that you may rescue some today? Absolutely. Instead of complaining, we should pray. And we need to pray for one another. 
You know, Jesus' whole life was one of intercession. His prayer life was one of intercession. Track Jesus' prayers through the scriptures. He was always praying for someone else. He was praying for Peter. He was praying for the disciples. He was praying for the world. He was praying for everyone. So it's his life was lived to be a life of intercession. Why did he come? He come to intercede for man's sin to God. And it says in Hebrews 7 that he ever lives to intercede. If we're going to be like Jesus, we better be intercessory. And why do we need to do that? Because I think we're too self-centered. Do you think anybody in this room is self-centered? If you don't have an example, point to me. I can be self-centered. I can look out for me. You know, it's almost like our culture is pushing us to be more and more narcissistic. We have our cell phones, and it's all about me. How do I look? Look what I'm eating. Um, what's, what's good for me? I don't like you. You're not good for me. It's all about me. I don't encourage anybody. I, I just want you to all bow down to me. Well, when we do that, if that attitude ever creeps into the church, people, it will cripple us. Cripple us. And it'll isolate you. And it'll weaken the whole body of Christ because we're not interceding for one another. If you don't focus on one another, you will only focus on yourself and you will become sick. In fact, that was proven out in history. In the outbreak of the Civil War, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones shared a story that the outbreak of the Civil, Spanish Civil War, there was an epidemic of neuroses that was taking place in the country. People were begin, becoming inwardly focused and worried and desperate and started to turn inward and couldn't even function. They were filling their asylums. Psychiatrists could not keep up. But a funny thing happened as a result of that war, as deadly and as ugly as it was, the people in their neuroses started to see the sufferings and the trials of their country, of their family, of their friends, and they started worrying about other people. And as soon as they started worrying about other people, they were cured and the asylums emptied. Why? Because they're looking out for someone else than themselves, and they realize that other people have bigger problems than mine. They're in a battle. They were dying. And they said, that's a bigger problem than what I'm wrestling with. And we need to do the same. In fact, God is calling us all to look beyond our own agenda and to pray intercessory prayers. There's a great story. Do you believe in the power of intercessory prayer? Do you? I, I love this story. Howard Hendricks shared a story. He was a professor who taught for years at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he said, years ago in my church, in Dallas, we were having trouble finding a teacher for a difficult junior high boys class. Can anybody relate? A difficult junior high boys class. The list of prospects had only one name on it, and when they told me what it was, I said, you've got to be kidding. But I couldn't have been more wrong about that young man. He took the class and revolutionized it. I was so impressed about how he accomplished these weird results and these amazing results in his class that he said, I pulled him to my home and asked him for lunch and the secret of his success. The young man simply pulled out a little black book. And on each page, 
he had a small picture of one of the boys in his class. And under the boy's name were personal comments like, is not doing well in math. His parents don't even want him coming to church. This young man wants to be a missionary but doesn't think he has what it takes. He says, Mr. Hendrick, I pray over the pages of that book every day and I can hardly wait to come back to church the following Sunday to see what God has done in these young men's lives. They have been changed. The power of intercessory prayer is great. We need to pray for one another. If you wanted, What would this church be like if all we did is not complain but prayed for one another? What would God accomplish at Valley Bible Church? Hearts would be strengthened. Workers would be found. People would have renewed courage. People would have renewed hope. People would be able to endure the battle, resist temptation. I want that for this church. I want that. Well, let's look at a quick application from verses 19 and 20. Paul who wrote this letter was the first person to get in line for prayer. And he wrote this in verses 19 and 20. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Are you kidding me, Paul? You're the most gifted, eloquent speaking, extremely courageous apostle that we know of. But he expressed such absolute humility. In fact, the people he's asking to pray for him, he probably led all of these people to Christ in Ephesus. And compared to most believers, he should have been the most self-sufficient one but he knew that his battles would not be won with eloquence. They would not be won with knowledge. They only are won with the spirit of the living God. And he knew he needed prayer. He was under the attack of Satan himself. Did you know Paul could be under the attack of Satan? Yes, just like you and me. Well, well sometimes I hear people pray this way. Um, how can I pray for you, brother or sister? And they say, well, we really don't have any needs at the moment. Um, everything's going good. Uh, uh, my family and I have all we need. Everybody's well. I, I don't really have any prayer requests. You ever heard that? Are these people in the same battle I am? Am I in a battle? Do you recognize you're in a battle? Do you see the flow of the battle around you? Are you alert to the dangers to your family, to you? You would be praying if you saw the dangers. If you were like that servant of Elisha in 2 Kings, he was saying, uh-oh, we're surrounded by the enemy. We're doomed. And Elisha says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lord, open his eyes that he can see what's really going on around here. And he saw chariots of the Lord and fire all the way around more than the enemy. Are you aware of what God's doing around you like that? 
We need to pray with that prayer of Elisha. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might see what you're doing. Open my eyes that I might see the spiritual danger. I, I, I see no physical danger. My family's looking cool. The government's running well. Well, not quite well, but they're okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm not in a battle in America. They're not fighting in front of my house. I don't really need anything. Open my eyes that I might see what you see in the dangers around me in the opportunities around me, in the joys around me. See what the Lord is doing. This is how we need to pray. And this is what Paul was saying. Pray for me because you don't see it, but we're under attack. And even me, I'm not going to speak boldly. And even if I spoke boldly, nothing's going to happen unless God steps in. Pray for me. Pray for me. You know what? All of the leaders in the Christian church are in the bullseye of Satan. He would love nothing more than to take down Christian leaders. Why? Jesus said, when you strike down the shepherd, the sheep scatter. If you're not in the battle, he's not worried about you. And sometimes, even as a sheep, he's less worried about you. But if he can cause a leader to fall, he can do great damage to the church. And so we have a, strong, a, a, a brighter bullseye in the middle of the night on our chest. And Paul knew that too. He says, I'm a leader. Don't let him take me down. But I would also say for us, I and the other pastors here have weaknesses just like you. We have a sin nature just like you. We can be tempted just like you. We have all the same problems that every one of you do. We're weak men. We're not exempt. And so with Paul, I would plead with you, pray for us that we might proclaim the gospel of Christ boldly. Pray for us that we would not fall to any temptation. Do you know without God, your marriage is not safe. Without God, your prayer life is not intact. Without God, you are not safe from any temptation. You think because you've lived a Christian life a long time, you're now exempt? It's a lie. It's a lie. You might think, I would never commit that sin. I have lived my whole life telling others how wrong that was. Well, if you're not depending on line, just, get in, just, just stand ready, because you'll be next. There, but for the grace of God, go I. So I would say, do you want better preaching here at Valley Bible Church? Many of you do. Do you want better shepherds? Better shepherding to go on in this church? Better leaders? More effective ministries? Do you want men who will courageously and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ from lives that have integrity? Do you want revival? Then we must pray! We must pray. We must pray. Because our staff, me, the other pastors, we can't save anybody. Did you know that? We can't change anybody's heart. We can't cause revival. We can't cause Christian growth. God alone does that. In fact, Spurgeon said to his congregation about their need to pray for him. Oh, may God help me. If you cease to pray for me, let me know the day because I must cease preaching. 
Your prayers are important for this pulpit. It's important for this church. It's important for every one of our ability to survive in this spiritual battle. Do you want victory in your spiritual battle? Then we must pray at all times. Spirit-infused and spirit-empowered prayers without ceasing and not just lists with communication so that we truly can know God. Don't just check the box. You know, at the end of the service, we specifically did not have our intercessory prayer time earlier in the service because we want to have it now. We didn't forget about it. After these three weeks on prayer, I think God's been talking to some of you. He's tapping some of you like he's tapping me on the shoulder. I said, this aspect of your prayer life, maybe you're too much into lists and not enough into adoration and intercession. Maybe you're not praying all the time. You're checking the box. You've had your five minutes with God, now you're done. Go about my day. Well, maybe you're not praying for the saints. You're complaining about the saints, but you're not praying for the saints. You know, I think God's talking to a lot of us. See, we didn't study prayer for three weeks so we could be smarter about prayer. We want to do what Bible says to do. We want to do what causes our spiritual growth to be in in light of Jesus, our Lord, that we have a closer relationship with him. We want to say, I'm willing to spend the time with you, Jesus, to know you. I want to know you. I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. Is that what you're here to say? Is that what God's telling you? Prayer counselors, please come forward right now. We're going to take some time, and I'm going to invite you. If you hear God's voice speaking these things to you, if you think, you know what, I have needs, I don't even know how to pray. I need God to teach me how. I need him to revive my heart to pray. I need him to revive my soul to pray. Please come forward. You can either talk to a prayer counselor or you can just kneel by yourself and just do business with God. This is between you and him. You have a relationship with God. If you know Jesus Christ, he is not satisfied with cold, repetitious prayers. He wants a relationship with you. And you have to realize that he wants to give you exactly what you need to survive in this battle. You may not survive without prayer. So I pray, would you come forward right now and pray with a counselor or maybe just do business with God. Don't go home until you respond to what Jesus and our Heavenly Father is telling you that we must do to be people truly of biblical prayer. May God grant us the wisdom and the power to pray great prayers for Christ and his kingdom. Please pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to tell you, please, this morning, Heavenly Father, would you let us not leave this room unchanged? Would you show us the joy and the delight of talking with you all day long, 
of depending on you for what we need in our battles and for lifting up one another. May we be a diligent, persevering, in the spirit, praying church. Would you change us and show us how wonderful it will be when we just bow our knee, take our battle stations, and pray. Please take us with your blessing and with your empowerment this week that prayer might change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.